Welcome to the Next Level Human Podcast. As a human, you have a job to do. In fact, you have four jobs. To earn and manage money, to attain and maintain health and fitness, to build and sustain personal relationships, to find meaning and make a difference. None of these jobs are taught in school, and that is what this podcast is designed to do, to educate us all on living our most fulfilled lives through the mastery of these four jobs. I'm your host, Dr. Jade Tita, and I believe we are here living this life for three reasons and three reasons only, to learn, to teach, and to love. In this podcast, I will be learning, teaching, and loving right along with you. I'm grateful to have your company. Here's to our next level. Welcome to today's show, everybody. You know, typically when I do these shows, I like to do sort of a mindset-oriented podcast, personal development podcast, followed by a health and fitness podcast. And I tend to sort of alternate those to kind of give uh, those of you who are interested in certain subjects not too long between those subjects. So I alter those a lot. So last week we talked about politics or last episode we talked a little bit about politics and obviously we've been doing that a lot and probably will continue doing that given the times that we're in with uh, the COVID crisis and some of the political discussions around that. And today I'm going to be talking a little bit about a a controversial subject which um, I really don't think it should be controversial but it is controversial and this is going to be around uh, this idea of understanding what we don't know about COVID and particularly the mask uh, debate and there's several different elements we need to discuss about this but obviously this is a healthcare post and I think that um, we should do our best to keep politics out of it these things should not be um, political in the sense that we, uh, cr- you know, choose teams to be on. Uh, and this is kind of what drives me crazy sort of being in this space and sort of eating, living, breathing this stuff. One of the things I've been doing is uh, with my uh, company, Metabolic Living, uh, I have been the one of my business partners and the team there that has been keeping up with COVID and all the science that's coming out about it. So I've really been eating, living, and breathing this stuff, especially as it pertains to um, policies and organizations uh, like the WHO and OSHA and, um, you know, uh, the CDC and different organizations and different universities and different research groups that are coming out with, with information. And it's coming out constantly because the fact of the matter is, in a situation like this, science is way slower than any of us want. And science also has an up and down, back and forth sort of process. So uh, it's an emerging understanding that we get from science. Uh, one study cannot be definitive. We need multiple studies, and we need those studies to um, – corroborate each other and correct each other and when that happens over enough time with enough studies you protect against the individual bias and dogma that could be uh you know sort of prevalent in one scientist so there's no doubt about it a scientist an individual scientist can be biased and dogmatic and that can find its way into their work but science the process of checks and balances and all these studies coalescing onto each other and sort of uh, this emerging sort of story that comes from multiple independent trials from uh, 
all over the world start to give us good quality information about what we might be able to say. And notice how even then I say what we might be able to say, because if we are going to be science-based, we have to understand that we can never be dogmatic and um, 1,000% certain of anything, uh, because uh, knowledge is evolving, uh, understanding is evolving. It is a slow process, but it's better than making things up. It's better than conjecture, conspiracy, and opinion. Uh, because those things, in fact, uh, perpetuate themselves based on uh, the idea that they're not checking against bias and dogma and uh, people's propensity to just make stuff up. And so that's why this is important. Now, let's, let's start the discussion, first of all, with something that I want to uh, get into, and this is the idea of intelligence. Uh, I've been kind of blown away throughout this process of um, smart people, very intelligent people, people who you can talk to and you know they have a high degree of intelligence and um, are thoughtful people. And uh, then they uh, fall you know, prone to conspiracy and conjecture and opinion and watch a documentary you know, on something and are immediately emotionally taken over and are unable to think critically. And so to me, what we want to do really quickly is understand this a little bit. What is it about intelligence that's different about critical thinking? Well, there are many intelligent people. And intelligence really, to me, is the idea of being able to take information and sort it, right, to sort information. It's basically turning information into knowledge and basically being able to sort it and sort of understand it uh, kind of quickly and be able to sort it and put it in its place. So a very intelligent person is going to be able to make connections with information that other people won't necessarily make. They can take information, they can sort it really well, they can make different connections with it, and they can do that pretty fast, and they tend to uh, be able to do that uh, in everything they do. So the more intelligent a person is, it's funny, in some research they actually suggest a more intelligent person, uh, someone is, is someone who can come up with seemingly uh, connected ideas that other people might not be able to come up with. And this is, uh, may sound familiar to you because I did a podcast back on conspiracy theories several episodes back. I forget what episode that is now. And talked a little bit about how this gap in understanding creates this sort of um, you know, conspiracy, what we might call the conspiracy gap. Whenever you're uncertain and there's a lack of understanding there's, and there's a gap in knowledge, uh, intelligent people tend to be able to want to close that gap really quickly and still make all kinds of judgments and connections and inferences and assumptions that make sense because they're very intelligent but may or may not be true at all. And this is where a lot of this comes from because obviously people go, well, they seem intelligent, so why are they thinking these things. There obviously must be something to it. And the fact is, because they're intelligent, uh, but not necessarily critical thinkers, because they're intelligent, they can easily make these connections that may not be true and these assumptions that may not be true. But critical thinking is very different than intelligence, because what critical thinking does is it gives you an anchor. It essentially says, let me understand that I, by my very nature, am biased. If I'm on the left or the right on the political spectrum, I have a bias. If I am in, into alternative medicine and anti-conventional medicine, I have a bias. And I can be very dogmatic in that too, meaning I'm, this is the, the only way, the right way. And critical thinking essentially goes, 
Let me check against that bias. Let me not go and look for things that agree with me, but let me purposely try to prove myself wrong. And so one of the things that we all should be doing if we want sort of next level understandings and want to be on the path of being a next level human is to understand that we need to have critical thinking. Intelligent is, intelligence isn't enough. Intelligence with bias and dogma actually gets us trapped. We're more likely to be on the wrong side if we're very smart with strong bias and dogma and have a lot of intelligence. Instead, what we should be doing is teaching ourselves to think critically. And this is about asking the why questions over and over and over again. Why do I believe this? Why did I search that? How can I get to the truth? So I oftentimes use the example in alternative medicine. um, And and I'll give you an example, actually, of this from my world here in just a minute. But in alternative medicine, if I wanted to try to prove, let's say I'm very sort of pro complementary and alternative medicine, which I am. I'm obviously a naturopathic physician. I went that route for a reason. It was a conscious choice. And so I do have a bias towards natural medicine. And I have a slight bias against conventional medicine. Now, that's not a problem so long as I admit that that is the case, so long that I am aware of it, and so long as I let uh, evidence guide me rather than my bias and dogma guide me. And so what I might do is, let's say if I'm searching for something like curcumin and cancer, most of the time people with intelligence, with bias and dogma are essentially going to search curcumin cures cancer. And what do you think they're going to show up on Google? And Google is a great filter for your bias because you type in your search terms are almost always your bias. You're looking to prove something to yourself, and most people are looking to prove something to other people. So they go uh, for the mask issue, let's say. Masks don't help with COVID-19. Our masks are useless. They'll literally search those things. So what do you think you're going to get up? You're going to get a bunch of opinions from other people writing blogs and doing podcasts and documentaries and stuff saying masks don't work, right? So of course you're going to get that information. However, what if you said masks do work? What are you going to get? You're going to get a lot of stuff that shows you that information. Or you could just say masks and COVID-19, and maybe you get more neutral type of things. Or even better, you could go to a research database where people are doing research and asking these questions and simply just putting out hypotheses that they then must prove right or wrong. So if a researcher puts out a hypothesis, masks don't work, they'll go and say, they're not going to be like, okay, that's the end of it. Masks don't work. I saw a couple things on Google. They're going to go, my hypothesis is that masks don't work. And therefore, I'm going to try to prove that through the scientific method. I'm going to try to prove it to myself, prove it to all my peers, and I'm going to be okay if I prove myself wrong because that's how scientific discovery sort of happens. And so better yet, rather than even searching on Google to begin with, which is not really research in my mind, and it's definitely not science, when you search Google, you are searching opinion-based stuff, right? Maybe it's a little better if you're going to a reputable, nonpartisan, you know, uh, sort of you know, uh, independent news organization that has some journalistic integrity, which I think many of us um, believe that that is becoming less and less the case with opinion-based news. Most news now is opinion-based. It's hard to find true journalism going on anymore. But if you can find true journalistic, you know, sort of uh, places, then maybe you can make some assumptions there, but the best would be to go to the science. Now, the fact of the matter is, most of you listening to this 
don't understand the scientific method, nor should you, um, and don't understand how studies work, and nor should you. It's not your field necessarily. It's more my field, right? It's more something that I have studied and I use in my day-to-day work. So we don't expect, or I wouldn't expect someone to be an expert in this, just like you wouldn't expect me to be an expert mechanic. I know nothing about cars. Don't ask me about your car, and I'm certainly not going to make up something just because I read an opinion about, you know, um, engine parts or whatever, you know, like you don't need tires or or whatever. I'm not even going to comment on that because I don't know. So let me briefly give you sort of uh, the next part that I want to discuss. First, I wanted to discuss this difference between intelligence and critical thinking. Intelligence can get you in trouble. What you want to do is become a critical thinker, which means question your own beliefs more vigorously than you question anything else. You must prove it to yourself. And to do that, you need an anchor. The anchor should be, I'm about truth. I'm not trying to be right. I'm trying to learn. And when you are coming at this from not trying to prove people wrong and instead trying to learn and upgrade your own knowledge, you actually will get better. A critical thinker is going to ask those questions. How do I learn what I didn't know I didn't know? Now, the next part is science. So let's go through this really quickly so people can understand. A lot of times people think um, that science is uh, not accurate, or they think science is opinion, or they think science is biased, or they think science is, um, you know, uh, not accurate or whatever it is. And, and here's the interesting thing about science. The scientific method, the way it is done, is done specifically to protect against opinion, to protect against bias, to have a checks and balance system against, uh, you know, people fabricating data. And it works basically like this. Someone has an idea, they do a study. And since we're going to be talking a little bit about COVID-19 and, you know, sort of the death rates and all the things that we don't know, we don't know, and we're guessing at right now, let's use that. So we're doing studies. We're looking at this pandemic. It's only been around for a couple months. It takes uh, time, months, years to do studies and to really look at this stuff and to even collate the data. So not only do we have to do the actual studies, we have to gather the data We then have to do the statistics. We then have to do the analysis. We then have to sort of write this up. Then we submit it, right? If we're a researcher, we submit it to a journal who then goes, let's take a look at this, a peer-reviewed journal, which means people on the board, the editorial board, are actually looking at this publication and saying, does the methods look sound? Did they do their due diligence? You know, what is the hypothesis? What were the methods? Did this violate any ethical rules? You know, um, is the statistical analysis uh, within reason, etc. And so this happens. Now, this happens with all of the best, you know, uh, scientific journals. But let's even say that a scientific journal, a lesser known or not, uh, uh, the editorial board gets sloppy. And so this article gets through that maybe isn't absolutely, you know, sound. Then what happens is all the other researchers around the world who focus on this area read that study. And they get to critique it. They can send uh, letters into the editor. They can, they can you know, present countering arguments. They can then use it to launch other investigations to see if they can duplicate the results or whatever. But there is now a checks and balance system there as well. So not only is this sort of this scientific process done and then this peer-reviewed journal thing done, but now we have all these other researchers reading this and checking it. And sometimes 
uh, you know, some of the best journal articles will retract the article and say, hey, we were wrong about that. And what's interesting to me about that is that many people go, well, see, see, that tells you that science makes mistakes. What it tells you is, yes, science makes mistakes, and they oftentimes catches those mistakes and is diligent about correcting their mistakes. In other words, science is not afraid to be wrong. Uh, it can't be because that's the whole thing. It's not trying to be right. It's trying to learn. And so, yes, it will throw out things that uh, if they find someone fabricated things or the numbers don't add up, yes, they'll absolutely throw out that particular researcher's articles. And then over time, you get one article, two articles, three articles, four articles, five articles, six articles. One says this, one says that. But eventually you start, as you get more and more research coming in, you start getting a consensus Right? You start getting a consensus that, okay, maybe we're now starting to understand some of this stuff. Now, as it pertains to something like COVID, this takes time. Like The truth of the matter is we are not going to know the true story on death rates, infection rates, and all the things that we were trying to do to help deal with this for months and years. Next year, you'll be reading stuff hopefully in reputable journalistic, you know, uh, journalistic resources or actual you know, scientific journals. You'll be reading things that say, we were wrong about X. We were wrong about Y. We thought Z was this. Now we know it's this. And that's because science is going to keep evolving. So next year, in the next two years, we will know things that we don't know now. We will also be correcting things that I am saying now. In other words, we'll be saying, hey, we were right on this. We were wrong on that. This we had no idea was an issue. And this is what we do. So we're better prepared for the next pandemic. So we understand some of this stuff. And this is how science works. It's designed this way on purpose to check against bias and dogma. Now, when you're looking at scientific studies, there's several things that you want to be looking at. Now, let's, let's, let's go through this really quickly because it's really important and a lot of times people just don't understand this. So, you want to look at the quality of studies. Not all studies are created equal, okay? Now, in general, when we're talking about something like COVID, we're going to have, you know, certain things. When you have a pandemic going around, the ideal thing to do a study would be to have one group of individuals who are sick doing one intervention and another group of individuals who are sick doing nothing, the control group. Now, this is going to be more difficult to do uh, in a short period of time, and it's also can become unethical in a sense to give someone a treatment and not give someone else a treatment. So a lot of the studies we're going to see with this pandemic, at least here in the beginning, are not the perfect types of studies, not these randomized control trials with a placebo group, partly because we don't want to forego treatment for people. It can be unethical in a sense. So we're doing things like, let's take a group of people, let's give them a medication, let's see how they fare, compared to people in the hospital who did not get that medication, right? So we are doing things like that where we'll take a group of people, but we're not having necessarily the uh, types of studies or the amount of the types of studies that we really would need to kind of prove, uh, you know, some of the things we're doing. So that is the perfect study to do would be this randomized control placebo, you know, controlled study, right? Next would be sort of these population studies where we're looking and we're essentially saying, okay, let's look and see... Um, in high-density areas in Asia, in Italy, in the United States, right? Let's look at these different, um, you know, uh, cities, and let's look at how they were faring 
if they are using masks and doing all these things versus cities of comparable size and density who are not wearing masks. And we have this data, right? We can go to Asian countries uh, where mask wearing is relatively ubiquitous and these they were mandated you know, wearing masks to lock down very quickly. And we can go, okay, so we have a place like, you know, uh, Shanghai and uh, New York City and, um, you know, Rome. And we basically look and we see, okay, this group was wearing masks. These groups weren't. What are the differences in uh, infectious rates and death rates? And we also know there's other things going on here, like social distancing and hand washing. And so in our statistical analysis, we, we basically know the relative risk reduction of those things. So we try to factor those things in. And these are known as sort of population studies. They're not perfect because there's a lot of stuff that goes into reduced infectious uh, you know, rate and death rates. Um, so we have to tease all of this out, but we certainly have this data and we can look, right? It's one of the things that's cool about this. And we have different areas all around the world that have been looking at this. So yes, do we have data about how impactful masks have been? And can we say, um, you know, based on what we've seen in New York City, Rome versus Shanghai, can we essentially say it looks like masks are impactful or not impactful. And it looks like based on the numbers that we see here, this is maybe the number of infections that we can save. So you see how population studies sort of work like this, right? So again, that's far better than opinion and conjecture. It's basically looking at different populations and comparing them to other populations based on what they're doing and making smart inferences based on that. Is it perfect? Of course not. Um, science is not perfect. Science is emerging. It becomes perfect over time, but it certainly is less perfect in the beginning. Now, the final thing would be case studies where we essentially know, okay, well, we know of a case where someone was infected and they were either not wearing a mask and they ended up infecting, you know, uh, multiple people. We've seen this with super spreaders. We've seen this happen with a lot of churches that weren't locked down, choir practices that ended up infecting the entire choir and stuff like that. We've also seen case studies where, um, you know, we have people who are known to be infected. They're not showing. They get sick later, yet they are in contact with multiple people, but wearing masks and, you know, doing all the things. And we can see that they were not, you know, getting people uh, sick. And so we can make these things, although that's the worst type of data for us because it's just sort of a one-off and it's harder to track with case studies. What we want is population studies and these randomized controlled trials if possible, right? And science will flush this out. And then we also have to look at the quality of those. Now, one of the things that's happening with science here is that we're getting this very weird thing that's happening. And in my mind, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a little bit... Um, I will use the term terrifying in a sense. Uh, you know, I know that's strong language, but in a sense, it is terrifying to me that individuals would uh, basically put out false data or go around on the Internet searching for things to prove themselves right when it could be negatively impacting the health of our fellow citizens. And to me, that is just, um, you know, sort of borders on immoral behavior in my mind, especially when you don't know what you don't know. And this is a situation where none of us really know yet. So we have to use the best data available to us and not be spreading around, you know, sort of false things. And so some of the things that I'm seeing people doing is they're like, see, masks don't work. And they'll quickly post a study from April 2018 uh, on the flu virus. 
which is one study out of, you know, many, uh, not even understanding the quality of that research. Some of these things I just shake my head because I actually start reading it, and I'm just like, yeah, okay, they just don't, they don't know what they don't know. First of all, you can't take a study on the flu from 2018 to make, uh, you know, inferences about a pandemic, uh, COVID, SARS-CoV-2 virus that's happening in 2020. What you need, if you want to understand this, is you need to understand when was this taken, uh, what virus are we talking about, and what masks are we even talking about, in a sense, right? So, in other words, if you really want to understand this, think about this. Every virus is passed differently. Some is passed through feces, right? Some is passed through um, mucus. Some is passed through droplets, and some is, uh, you know, that, that basically fall on surfaces that then we touch. Some is passed through, you know, aer- aerosolized, meaning it's basically in the, in the air. And so whether the, a mask will be impactful or not is going to, to depend on the virus. So if you want to do good science, you want to look at masks against this particular virus and or viruses a little bit more like it. So is it reasonable if we didn't have any data on SARS-CoV-2, would it be reasonable to use mass data on the flu? Certainly it would. But then once we get the data on specifically SARS-CoV-2, we have to put all that influenza stuff aside and look at just this particular virus. And by the way, um, if you look and start pulling all the research on masks for other respiratory viruses, like, you know, sort of flu that can be passed this way, what you'll find is that the data lean towards, now there's data all over the place, so you can find data and studies showing one way or the other. But remember, I told you, this is how science works. Slowly over time, you get this emergent trend. So you can't pick one study or two studies. And actually, I'll give you a shortcut here. One of the things to do is go look at meta-analyses and review studies on masks and uh, respiratory viruses and things like that. And the reason you want to do that is because they're studies of studies. And so it's a shortcut versus having to pull all these studies. But you cannot pull one or two studies. You need multiple studies. You also need to make sure, if you can, that they are specific to the virus that you are actually looking at. So hopefully this is giving you a sense of how this works when you're looking at Data And so even if most of you are not going to be reading research like I do, but even if you're reading a news report on Fox News or MSNBC or CNN or the BBC or, you know, um, some of the ones I love like Reuters and All Sides and, and these kinds of things, what you want to do is you want to be like, oh, that's interesting. They mentioned a study. Get in the habit of going and looking at that study. They almost always give the references there or they'll have that highlighted. And what I like to do is click on that link and go to that actual study and look at what study they are referencing. And what that tells me is it tells me a little bit about that news agency and how diligent they are and how well that that actual journalist understands science, right? And so I tend to want to go and look at that. You might want to also go and go just go look and say, are they talking about a case study? Is this a population study? Is this particular to SARS-CoV-2 or are we talking about the flu? And is this uh, what kind of mask are we even talking about here? And this will help you really, really start to understand this. Now, one of the... um, One of the things I want to say is I want to say I am proud of myself for something. (laughs) And here's why I'm proud. I'm proud because I said several months ago, for some of the, the stuff I was putting out, I was saying that masks probably aren't effective. Several months ago, I was saying this. Why? Because I was looking at... Um, 
uh, some of the recommendations coming down from the CDC and the WHO. And I was also looking at research on um, spread of this particular virus we didn't necessarily know yet. I was looking at um, some research on sort of the flu. And I was looking at this idea of if you're not wearing N95 respirators, basically, um, you're essentially, these masks are loose fitting. You're essentially getting viruses that can, you know, essentially pass through the, you know, these, uh, these masks uh, based on particle size, and you can still get infected. So at that time, I was looking at all that data and saying, you know, it's probably not, you know, um, effective. Now, why am I proud of myself? I'm proud of myself because I can admit I was wrong. I was wrong before. At least it looks like I was wrong. We'll see. Maybe I'll be right again after a little bit of time. A year from now, maybe we'll all be talking and being like, well, here's how it really came down on mass. But right now, what you're seeing is you're seeing the CDC, WHO, all these organizations who, by the way, don't have one person up there making an opinion. They have multiple scientists working on this, multiple people looking at all the research that's coming in, and then they're making their recommendations based on the best evidence available. So doesn't it make sense that they will update their recommendations? Why is this? This is a good thing, not a bad thing. If you, isn't it prudent? Isn't it smart? Isn't it uh, the best thing in the world to, once you get better information, to amend your positions instead of trying to prove a wrong position wrong just because you believed it before? So the reason I'm proud of myself is because I'm proud that I can sit here and say I was wrong, right? I was wrong, and now with new data, we have at least 10 different studies that I will link with this particular um, podcast on SARS-CoV-2, the particular virus causing COVID, this disease that we're all dealing with, right? We have now data on this particular virus as it pertains to masks. The population studies are essentially saying that masks in those populations where masks were used at you know, and mandated, and uh, most of the population, 80 to 90 percent, were wearing masks. We have a very quick suppression of uh, it looks like uh, viral infectious rates. That's what the population studies are telling us. Some of the other studies are telling us the same thing. Some of the the control trials that are looking at, like, well, we have a group here that's wearing masks and a group here that wasn't and which group fared better. Those are starting to tell a a story as well. We also have case studies where we have, for example, two uh, hairstylists who were wearing masks and washing their hands and doing all the things in close proximity with the people they were working with, something like 100-plus individuals. They were wearing masks. None of those other individuals were infected. So we have case studies now. Tons of population studies now, and we have some control trials looking at the effectiveness of masks for SARS-CoV-2. And it's looking like very clearly that masks are uh, not just effective, but perhaps critical. And this is why a lot of, uh, this is why you're seeing all this, because a lot of the researchers are saying, oh, we were wrong. Oh, let's update our, uh, you know, sort of understanding and get out the right information uh, to the public so that they can uh, quell the infection and hopefully save lives. This is what this is about. We update our uh, information based on new information. So I was wrong and I've updated it based on sort of what we know now. Now, the question might be, okay, Jade, if that's the case, 
what about the different masks? Uh, you know, are they all effective? Yes, the studies are saying they are actually all effective. Let's go through really quickly um, a little bit about how we think this works, specifically for SARS-CoV-2. Okay, so basically, what ha- what we believe happens is that when you're in close proximity to someone, even if they're not coughing or sneezing, they are releasing you know droplets. They are spitting out droplets. You, sometimes you can see them, right, when you talk to someone. They spit a little bit. And so you're having these droplets come out of the mouth, uh, you know, and falling around. Uh, you also, some of these droplets, you will inhale. Some of them, most of them, you can't see. So you can inhale these droplets. And these particles, these little water particles, have the virus in them. And so there's active virus in there. You inhale this stuff, and you get the virus, right? This is essentially now how this works. Or someone sneezes, it goes all over the place. By the way, when someone sneezes, 8 feet to 12 feet is the spread of these, of, of these particles, and they can fall all over the place. But they also can stay suspended in the air. Now, for a while, we didn't know, are we getting this from mainly particles that fall on surfaces that then we touch, that then we touch our face, or are we getting it through the air? And it looks like we're probably getting it through both. And so what we now know is that any kind of barrier with SARS-CoV-2 that causes less of this fluid to be expressed from the mouth is going to be good, especially when in close proximity. So it's most important for the person who's infected. The the problem is we might have as many as 45% of individuals based on some uh, information Again, over time, this will become more clear. We'll know how many people were asymptomatic. But we have asymptomatic individuals spreading virus. We have people who remain asymptomatic, don't even know they have the virus. We have people who are asymptomatic before they get sick and are shedding virus. And these face masks protect people who are around those people from getting it. Now, let's, And that's the biggest part here is the, the containing of these respiratory particles in these masks. Now, let's say I don't have it and I'm trying to protect myself. Yes, even that, you're going to get some protection uh, from uh, less of these particles getting into your mucous membranes and you inhaling them because there is some degree of filtration based on the mass. Now, what we now know is that uh, single particles, like just a single sheet of cotton, will have some impact, but it's low. Put two layers of cotton, it's better. Put two layers of cotton with a tight-fitting, you know, sort of uh, more tight-fitting around the mouth, it's even better. Surgical masks are probably a little bit better than, um, you know, what we, uh, you know, sort of the the, uh, cotton face mask, although that's debatable, and they're now showing that if you could put multiple layers in, these sort of homemade face masks can be very uh, sort of impactful. And, of course, the best are the N95 uh, sort of respirators. And that name, by the way, comes from 95% of particles are filtered uh, through that mask. It's a tight-fitting mask that we're really uh, – you're seeing a lot of people not talking a lot about them in the health and fitness space. Um, and, and a lot of uh, individuals in the C, you know, CDC, WHO, stuff like that, they're, they're all kind of being a little bit coy about talking about N95s because N95s are a little bit hard to come by and they're really wanting to prioritize these for our first responders and things like that. But that would obviously be ideal. Now, one of the things that's really interesting is a lot of people are are using masks that have these filters on them, these, you know, sort of valves. These are not going to be that effective, right? Because when you breathe out, those, that filter actually, 
you know, basically is uh, releasing whatever you're breathing out into the environment. And so those are not actually great. What you want is a filter maybe coming in, but you don't want those valves, those valve masks, because they might be just like not wearing a mask. So any kind of, uh, it's probably better than wearing nothing though, but still it's probably the worst kind. So any kind of barrier is a good thing for both people who have the virus and people who don't. And it's not a guarantee, though, right? And that's the interesting thing. So just because it's not a guarantee, it's just like wearing your seatbelt is not a guarantee that if you get in an accident, you won't get severely injured or killed, right? A face mask is more like that. It's not guaranteed to 1,000% protect you, which is one of the reasons why you'll look in on some of these face masks like anything else and just say, hey, this is not guaranteed. They have legal statements there, right? So that's part of why you are seeing that. And you're going to start seeing this all begin to trickle out into the organizations who are making these recommendations. So we have this stuff now uh, to sort of understand. Now, the question then becomes, why would we as next level humans, why would we A, not want to just say, let me um, be uh, open to change? I was wrong about masks. I, Jade Tita, was wrong. Now I've amended my stance. I still don't know if I'm right, but I'm a little bit more sure than I was before with increased data. What in the world is going on where people cannot simply approach things that way? Are you being right and is your bias and is your political team really that much more, that's so important to you that you will uh, essentially have no intellectual integrity at all? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Like, honestly, it's, it's, it's sort of uh, scary to think about that you can just put your intellectual integrity aside and ignore all data to the contrary just simply to maintain your self-righteous stance. I, I don't understand that. I think we all need to be looking at the data and doing our best to amend with better information. Now, here's the other part of this. Even though masks might be effective, right, there is a, a, a rightly considered thing. If you're going to be a critical thinker, right, you need to also go, well, well, we first don't want to do any harm. So, okay, we're starting to see that masks are effective potentially here. But aren't there downsides to masks? Like, you know, and you're hearing all this stuff, right? Oh, you're going to get hypercapnic. Uh, hypercapnic if you uh, which is basically you're going to get co2 poisoning hyperkipnia is the technical medical term for this uh if you have masks because you can't breathe out the co2 that actually is not true for the vast majority of people we'll go through that in a minute oh you're going to have decreased oxygen consumption if you are wearing a mask again not true now are there certain individuals who having a mask on could potentially be an issue. Absolutely. Those with COPD, those with asthma, little small children less than the age of two, these things are probably going to be an issue. Are there potentially individuals who, when wearing a mask, run into potential problems? Sure there are. But they've even done studies on this. And let me explain to you how they've done this. They've actually taken people, had them walk on treadmills for an hour, have them put on different masks, measure their CO2 in their blood, and measure their oxygen in their blood. And guess what they find? No change. Now, we can either say and guess at this, or we can use the data. Now, does this mean this is not happening with people in certain people in the population? Certainly, it probably is. We can say for sure there are individual reactions to this kind of thing. But for the vast majority of people who are healthy, there's almost no risk whatsoever regarding oxygen or, uh, you know, um, 
hypoxia, which is the reduction in oxygen, or, or hyperkipnia, which is CO2 excess. As a matter of fact, if you were going to try to uh, you know, get somebody hypercapnic with CO2, you'd have to put a plastic bag over their head, basically, and suffocate them that way. And that's the only way they're going to get that amount of CO2. These things, the same reason they're not completely protective against the virus is the same reason that they don't have the issues that we think they do. Just as virus can still pass through, CO2 and ventilation is pretty much, uh, is, is decreased somewhat, but is, uh, adequate and obviously we already have again we go back to the population data we already have individuals who wear masks all day every day as part of their professions and we don't see huge issues with these if we did we would take more precautions so yes there are people that need to be careful with masks they are in the vast minority the vast majority of individuals will have no issue with masks whatsoever especially if worn correctly and let me give you some of the things you want a tight fitting mask if possible you want multiple layers if possible give yourself some breaks every hour it might be a good idea not and by the way we don't necessarily have any data on this it's just a good idea to take your mask off right and to you know get some sort of fresh air uh you know right now there, no one's recommending that because we don't have the data to say that that's the case but again it's just prudent right if you're worried about the mask or it makes you feel uncomfortable or having you know you know like some people are like it makes my ears sore I you know I get a headache from having that band around my head you know or I feel short of breath I just don't you know it's it's you know there's too much you know it's getting you know too moist and wet in my in my mask or whatever so yeah yeah, you know, take a break. Also, wash those masks. You don't keep those masks around. They be- can become like little Petri dishes as well. Also, don't do the stupid human thing that we all do. I do it too, right, which is we oftentimes have this positive halo effect. We think if we have a mask on that that somehow protects us from everything else. No, social distancing still matters. Having a mask on matters. Cleaning, uh, social sanitation and things like that matter. And you don't necessarily want to be touching your face all of the time either. So you have to still do all of the other things um, as this uh, – how the, as this um, – is prudent, right? So you, you kind of look at, at this. Now, in terms of other things, like, you know, it, it's amazing to me that people will defend non-mask wearing, which, by the way, that's fine with me if the data says that. I actually was on your team, so to speak, team, which we shouldn't be trying to be on your team. I was on your team a couple months ago. I no longer am with better data. So we should go with the data, in my opinion. And also, we should look at the risks absolutely, but also be willing to say the real risk here is people getting infected with and potentially dying from a virus. And to protect people, we want to flatten the curve, so to speak, and you know, basically quell this virus as much as we can. Masks can be important in doing that. Both can be true, right? We can certainly have some risk for certain populations, but you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. If you have something that is working, that can be effective, that can save lives and save infections, then you use it, right? And then you also understand some of the risks. Right now, we know pretty conclusively that the risks are incredibly minor when it comes to masks, if almost non-existent. And we're starting to see that the risk of not wearing them to our health and to mainly getting this virus under control are pretty substantial, it looks like. Now, the other thing about this, which is absolutely critical, I'm a naturopathic physician, right? I'm somebody who, the, if you really want to deal with something like this, this really comes, the most important thing, more important than mass, more important than anything else, is you doing what you can 
to get healthy. What we're seeing is that this virus in particular is killing, killing people who have metabolic issues. Your metabolism is your immune system. Your immune system is your metabolism. So both can be true. Masks can be a per, an important part of this, but, but we also have to say that you're not going to get rid of this virus by, by just wearing a bunch of masks. You're just not. You're going to need to do the things that we all know to keep ourselves healthy. So yes, social distancing. Yes, sanitation. Both, yes, ma- wearing masks. Yes, reducing junk foods and things like that. Yes, reducing stress, sleeping, and all those things. Yes, taking supplements, some prudent supplements, which, by the way, is another thing. Many people are taking supplements, and they think those are important. You might not be aware that no supplement has been proven effective against SARS-CoV-2. We're making inferences about things like zinc and things like that, but masks have been more proven than any supplement has been proven to be effective in decreasing infection risk. Yet you have you know, all these people, right? And just ask yourself if you're one of these critical thinking. It's like, oh, I'm taking, you know, I'm taking this supplement and acting like this works with no data whatsoever. Meanwhile, it might work. And then being anti-mask when we actually have great data that says it can be effective. So this is just really important stuff. All of this can be true, by the way. Think about this. I know that people rightly have concerns about infringements of freedoms and mandates and things like that. I do too. I know people have complaints about the fact that shouldn't we be talking more about keeping ourselves healthy and resilient and working that way? Yes, we should. Uh, Shouldn't we be a little bit worried about, you know, having a completely sterile environment when we know that a lot of these bugs and things that live in our environment actually help our immune system? Yes, we should. It's all true, right? All of these things can be true. The fact that we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater based on a particular way of thinking is showing us how biased we are and showing us how we are lacking in critical thinking. You know, I, I, have, I know so many intelligent individuals who I just go, they have zero critical thinking skills. Like what, what has happened to the ability to critically think and ask ourselves the tough question and demand data and be able to change our positions when we find that we are wrong? All of these things can be true and all of them need to be considered sort of separately in a sense, but they all can be true and they all can be managed. We don't need to, you know, completely avoid mass just to maintain our freedom, right? I mean, these are, in my mind, sort of silly arguments. We can have all the concerns that we need while we address the most vital concern right now, the fact that we have an exploding pandemic, although this week as I'm filming this, some better news. It looks like, you know, we may have, you know, begin to get a hold on this. And that may be, may I say, be a result of a widespread adaptation of mask wearing now. And we have to be willing to say that may have been the thing, right? And so all of these things matter. So I'm going to stop right there. All I would essentially say is I would implore you, take care of yourself first. I would also implore you, be willing and able and have the courage to say I am wrong because I'll tell you what, if it turns out masks aren't effective in a year, I will certainly just be like, oh, I was wrong about that. Right now, if you really want to sort of get to the bottom of this, um, I'm going to, with this particular podcast, I'll put all the brand new data. The last couple months since April, May, June, July, and specific to SARS-CoV-2 and mask data. I am looking for the data 
that actually says that masks are not effective. You will not find it right now. I haven't found it. We've got 10. It's 10 to 0 right now. Now, obviously, there are going to be some studies that eventually show that. Um, that's just the nature of science. But we use the best data we have. And so hopefully this is helpful for you to give you a little bit of an understanding about science, to sort of understand intelligence versus critical thinking, to sort of uh, understand how to be thinking about this, how a next-level human is willing to be wrong and is following the data. Uh, and by the way, when I say next-level human, that's a brand. No one is a next-level human. I'm not a next-level human. I'm just trying to become one. It's a becoming process. It's an evolutionary process. And to me, finding truth, uh, being able to be uh, integrous and in your intellectual integrity instead of making things up and being guided by political bias is an important component of being next-level in my mind. Um, we don't have to... Uh, necessarily agree on this right now because it's still emerging. But the data is now turn the tide. I have changed my mind. Doesn't mean you have to, but if you're going to be a critical thinker and really take this seriously and not just be another one of these, you know, another one of these individuals in a sea of biased, dogmatic, political, you know, um, expedient, you know, sort of thought processes, then you're going to want to be thinking about this too. And hopefully this gave you some things to think about. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. I will see you at the next show.